Well, this is our second week in our series on our mission and vision as a church. Uh, we're unpacking these two statements. Number one, we, we aim to be, we want to be an awakened people who are then sent by God to awaken others. We, talk, we talked about that last week. What does it mean to be awakened? And the second statement is we, we pray that God will establish us as a sending center of his presence and his wholeness. Now, last week, as I mentioned, we, we talked about what it means to be awakened by God. And that, what we're saying is that in order to be a Christian, in order to be a Christian, it doesn't have a thing to do with your church membership. It doesn't have a thing to do with your morality. It doesn't have a thing to do with your Bible study or your quiet time in the morning. It really, it may involve all those things, but at the core, being a Christian, that doesn't hinge upon what you or I do. Being a Christian means that you have been converted or the spirit of God has caused you to be born again and has made, he has awakened you to see the reality and beauty of Jesus in the gospel. That's what it means to be a Christian. We need the Holy Spirit. We need every single one of us, no matter whether you were born in church, no matter whether you've been educated in, in church or in seminary, you know about the Bible. All of us, every single one of us, we need the Holy Spirit to, to breathe upon us and to show us, to reveal to us the reality of who Jesus is, that he is exactly who he said he is and to see the beauty or the reality to understand or know in your soul the reality of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel of Jesus, the story of who he is and what he has done for us. And then we said about as for us as believers that that we all need to continually be awakened by the Holy Spirit of God, because every single one of us, if you're a Christian, you tend you and I, I do as well. We all tend to fall asleep. We all tend to grow dull and dry, to stray. Now this week, what we're looking at is, we're looking at one of the main byproducts of what happens when the Lord revives his church and he saves the lost. Whenever he breathes his spirit, and both to those who are lost and are outside of the family of God, and to those Christians who have become sleepy and kind of lethargic and kind of straying whenever he breathes upon our souls and revives the truth of who Jesus is, the preciousness of the gospel, all of a sudden this begins to happen. We become, the church becomes, we become a dwelling place of his presence on earth. When God revives his people and awakens us to the glory and the beauty that's found in Jesus, we become, the church becomes a dwelling place of God's presence on earth. See, Peter wrote this letter, 1 Peter, to a group of people, to a church, to a group of people who were enduring incredibly tough times. It was so tough that he calls them fiery trials. And he encourages them with a couple of things, but one of the big things that he encourages them with is this passage that we just read this morning. He says, this should be an encouragement of Tiona reminds you of what the church is. Can you imagine that? That's what he encourages the people who are undergoing fiery trials. This is how he encourages them. He reminds them, this is who the church is. This is what the church is. And the picture that he uses is remarkable. He says, this is what the church is. 
the church is, and you see the picture, we're going to get to that in the, in the passage that we are looking at. The, the picture language that he uses when he talks about us being living stones that are being knit together or fitted together to hold the presence of God. He says, we are, the church is, the new temple where God's spirit dwells on earth. The church is God's new temple where his spirit dwells on earth. And then he says, and not only that is, but the church, every single one of us and all of us together, we are a collection, he says, a kingdom of priests. And that means we are a collection of people who have direct access to God. And then we are in turn given a job to represent God to humanity around us. The church brings the presence of God. Hear this. The church brings the presence of God or is to bring the presence of God, the glory of God into contact with the people around us. The church is the vehicle, the temple, the place, the dwelling place that God uses to reveal his nature and character to take his presence to the world around us. Now, is that how you tend to think about the church? How do you tend to view church or the church or a church? How do you think about what church you're going to attend or be a member of? How do you think about what happens here when we gather together? How do you think about the, how do you view the importance of what God is building as he is building his local church? I don't think most of us view it as something that's so incredibly important that for, for Peter to say it is the temple, the dwelling place of God's presence on earth and we are the church collectively is the vehicle that God will use to carry his presence into the world the dark hurting broken lost world around us how do you decide about whether you attend or not whether I'm going to go this morning whether I'm going to be a part of a community of believers how do you think about what success is for a church and we all think about it if you're a Christian or have been around church very long, you think about how you decide whether I'm going to go to church or this, this church or that church and whether I'm going to, how involved I'm going to be and what I'm going to do in this church. But Peter is saying that through Jesus, that God is restoring humanity's place with God. That through the church, in Jesus, God is restoring humanity back to God and he's restoring his presence back with humanity because you see we were all made to live in God's presence I want you to hear that you were made to live in God's presence it's what you were made for it was the state of the garden originally God made man and woman and he made them perfect in a perfect place the garden of Eden a lot of theologians say that the Garden of Eden was really like a temple, if you think about it. That, that he built this perfect place where God dwelt. And the picture that we get is that he would walk and talk with Adam and Eve. He communed with them. He was so at one with them that Adam and Eve were incredibly, entirely dependent upon him and incredibly happy to be so. They knew God. He walked with them as a friend. He knew them as a friend. The state of the garden when God created was for God and man to be in perfect union. It was like a temple. And that's how this earth was created to be, a temple of God's presence. And in this temple, in this place, in this garden, Adam and Eve acted as priests. Here's what I mean. 
A priest is somebody that represents God to people and people back to God or God to his creation and his creation back to God. And Adam and Eve and you and I were, were made to be those who made in the image of God, yet made of the dust of the earth. We we're made to take the image of God and reflect that into creation. The creation mandate. We're made to, to go and have children, get married, have children, go and subdue the earth, create things, build things, build a civilization, explore the gifts and abilities God has given you, the interest, explore the amazing creation that he has made. We are made to take the image of God and reflect it into creation and then to turn around and take creation and all that we have done and reflect it back to God in praise and worship to him. And perfect and unbroken fellowship back and forth. And that included intimate communion with God. Communion is kind of a, can be a Christian word. It's hard that we picture the, the table and it, and it is the, the table. But what we, well, the word communion means, it means a deep, intimate relationship where there's knowing on a heart and mind level. There are no walls between us. That we can be truly known. Isn't that something that your heart cries out for? Don't you desire to be truly known? To be truly known though in such a way that you don't have to hide anything about yourself. But you aren't afraid of whether that person is going to accept you and bring you in. And you were made. And in the very beginning, the state of the garden was that of communion. Intimate knowledge of God and man. Communion on the deepest level, it was relational. It wasn't just a, like what you may picture as a relationship between God and those who was created as those who are peons and way down below him like ants to humanity. We were made to be in communion and for that communion relationship to be relational. For there to be give and take. For us to grow in knowledge of him because we can never know all about him. And for him to continually beautifully expressing who he is to us. It included joyful submission. In the garden, in that communion, in that relationship, Adam and Eve were in joyful and absolute submission to God. By the, it wasn't until sin came in that we questioned whether God's will was good. There's made to be communion and relationship and absolute and utter submission to God. And in that abundant provision, Adam and Eve before the fall never had to question where is our next, next meal coming from? Are we going to be properly cared for? Because they had absolute and utter confidence that this God who created them would care for them and provide everything they needed and it provided they had relationship and communion. They had joyful submission and experienced abundant provision. And God gave them work. God gave them a role and a job to represent him to creation and creation back to God. To go and explore the gifts and abilities that I've given you in this great creation that I've made. But here's what happened at the fall. For all the things that did happen... The great loss that happened when Adam and Eve sinned and mankind fell, the great thing that was lost was God's presence. Yeah, he said, as soon as you eat of this fruit, you will die. You will surely die. 
They were kicked out of the garden. They realized they were naked. They became ashamed of themselves. They blamed each other. But of all the things that happened, cascading from the fall, the most egregious, terrible thing that happened was the loss of God's presence. We are now, as humanity, separated from the presence of God, the one who created us and who we are created for. And all of our problems that we experience, every single problem that you experience, harkens back to your separation from God. Your attempt to be your own God. Your desire to be able to rule and reign your life and the lives of people around you to be your own God. To prove that you are good enough and strong enough to be the center of your own world. Your desire to be your own God and all the evil that comes from your desire and other people's desire to be their own God. All that cascades from that, all the evil that comes from that is all goes back to our separation from the presence of God. The lack of that oh, the communion, the lack of that intimacy, the lack of that relationship, the lack of that joyful submission. Our attempts to be each other's God, to try to exert my influence over you and make you do what I want you to do. The source of all marital conflict, family conflict, relational conflict, war, the desire for man to exert our influence and our reign over other men and women, that's all attributable back to us being separated from the presence of God. Broken relationships, abusive relationships, the impossibility to balance work and life all harkens back to the lack and the separation of are us from the presence of God. Because you see, God's presence, hear this today, God's presence is the deepest longing of your soul. I don't know what you think your deepest longing is. Just take for a moment. Just, you don't have to blurt it out or write it down. Just think for a second. What do you think that your deepest longing, the deepest longing of your soul is? What do you think it is? Whatever you think that it is, It might be having a mate, having a better career, having different friends, a different body, a better place to live. Whatever you think the deepest longing of your soul is, all of no matter what you think it is, all of the the deepest longings, the things which we are created for, by the way, all those things, uh, a mate, career, work, friends, uh, a, a a good heavenly body, a, better, a, a good place to live. All those things are longings that God gave us, but all the longings below those things, all the longings that we have are for the presence of God. The deepest longing of your soul is to know and to be known by the ultimate one. That's what you long for. The deepest longing of your soul is to know and to fully be known by the ultimate one. That's what Peter is talking about here. Did you notice at the end of our passage in verse 9, he says, but you are a, and hear these words, a chosen race. He says you are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy or set apart nation. You are a people for his own possession. 
Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is talking about the greatest and deepest longings of our soul to be chosen and royal, to have a a position, to be set apart, to be a people for God's own possession, to be to have received the mercy and care and love of God. That's what it means to be in the presence of God. Is, is the presence of God a feeling or an experience? It may involve, and I think often and usually will involve, a feeling or an experience. But what does it mean to be in the presence of God? Is it, is it something concrete or is it just something ethereal? Like, it's hard to get, get my, wrap my head around what you mean when you say the presence of God. It means to be, this is what, it, this is what it mean, being in the presence of God means. It means to be chosen, known, Brought from the outside in, finally given the mercy that you're hoping for, and to know that those things are true. To be chosen, known, brought from the outside in. Have you ever felt in your life, do you ever have this fear that I'm the one on the outside looking at everybody else? I'm constantly trying to get on the inside. I always feel like I'm the the one, my my fear is that I'm the one on the outside looking in, that other people are happier, smarter, more together, everything than than I am. But to be in the presence of God is to know that I am chosen, that I've been brought from the outside in, even though I am fully known, and that I have finally, finally, finally received the mercy that I'm longing for. And this is how close you can be brought in. This is how chosen that you can be. Peter says that as we come to Jesus, he's making us into a spiritual house, a temple to know and carry his presence to those who are outside. See, Jesus is building a new temple for God's presence. Peter said in verse 4 through 6, as you come to him, he's talking about him, a living stone. This is Jesus. Jesus is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's telling us that, yes, I've called you to be brought back in. I'm building my church in order to bring you back in from the outside and you are connected. You can be connected again to God's presence through and only through Jesus. That's how we are brought back in. Jesus went through great lengths to bring you back in from the outside. I want you to hear that. You don't have to be outside anymore. In Christ, 
He has gone through, Jesus has gone through great lengths to bring you back in from the outside, to bring you into himself, into the Father, into communion and relationship again, into a place where you can find that you can have joyful submission, where you can find peace and joy in believing in him. Your true deepest longings to be completely known, to be loved unconditionally, to have purpose and meaning and to have peace. It all comes through Jesus because he was rejected so you could be brought in. He was taken outside the city so you could be brought into the family. Jesus was put outside so you could be brought in. That's what he means by the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That Jesus was, was esteemed not. He was taken outside of the city. He was bruised. He was beaten. He was hung. He was rejected. He was placed into a borrowed tomb. And he was done so. All that happened to him so that you could be brought in. At the, at the cross, Jesus became the cornerstone of the restored dwelling place of God and man. And if you come to him, if you come to him, if you come to the stone that the builders rejected, if you come to the one who people think is foolish, you will find that he will take you in. You will find that he will bring you in. He will actually bring you in so completely that Peter is telling us that he will use you to make a part of his dwelling place, his temple on earth. Jesus was brought out, taken out so that you could be brought in. And Peter is telling us here that Jesus is the great high priest. He's the one, though Adam failed to fully and rightfully represent God to creation, he fell And he turned away, rebelled against God. Jesus came as the great high priest representing God to man and man back to God because he was 100% God and 100% man. And he faithfully and fully lived out the perfect human life. He represented at the cross He represented you and me and all our sin and all our rebellion back to God, taking on the wrath of the Father upon himself. He had pure hands offering a once for all sacrifice. He became sin and took death so that he could bring us into, bring you into the presence of the Father. And the great high priest makes us a kingdom of priests. That's what he says here. He makes us a a kingdom of priests, those who have access to God, those who have been, been given also as a priest, a commission by God to represent him to the world around us. He makes us a household or a a family of priests who have bold access as sons and daughters to the presence of the father. But see, here's the thing. Here's what keeps us. Is that Peter tells us here that Jesus is the cornerstone or he's the stumbling stone. As you come to him, verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verses 7 through 8. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become 
the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. What is he saying? He's saying that you're coming to him, verse 4, or you're believing in him, verse 7, is the only way back in to God. Jesus didn't model a way for us to follow so we can find a way back to God. Jesus is the only one who could perfectly be man to, uh, to God and represent man to God and God to man. He's the only one who could perfectly do it. And the only way back in is not to follow his example, but is simply to come to him and believe. You cannot obey your way back into the, into the kingdom. You cannot live your way, act your way, morality your way back into the family. The only way back in is through believing in the cornerstone. What does it mean to come to him? To believe, only believe. That's the only thing that's asked of you. But yet it's also the only thing that you have to bring. Do you have good works that you can endear yourself to him? You don't. Not enough good works. Do you have a track record that you can act as your resume? No, none of us have a sterling resume to show to him. Do you have gifts and talents and possessions that you think you can convince him? Look, I should be chosen like me waiting to be chosen for kickball back in elementary school. Please. Always last. No, you don't have anything to offer. All that you can offer him is only to believe. That's all that you can bring. But what we are talking about is a full-hearted, full-throated, absolute belief. A belief that accepts his complete lordship as deserving of your whole life. His complete lordship as deserving of your whole life. His complete lordship over every part of your life. The kind of lordship that says, do this and you do it. Go here and you go there. No matter whether you agree with it or understand it, you say, you are Lord and you are good. And I'm coming to you as my Lord. I'm coming to you, as it were, on bended knee as my king. It's a full-throated, full-hearted belief that accepts him to be your only hope, your only hope. Hope, your only hope of salvation. There is no other back door. There's no plan B or C or D. Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf is your only hope for salvation. But here's the good news. That message is a message that can cause you, as we said last week, to cease striving and only believe. And you're not coming to him or you're not believing in him is the only thing that's keeping you out. There's nothing else that's keeping you on the outside. Not your worst actions, not your terrible character, not your up and down track record, not your lack of knowledge, not your intelligence, not your hard heart. Nothing is keeping you outside of the family of God. Nothing is keeping you outside of the kingdom. Nothing is keeping you outside of Christ and the unending, never giving up love. Love of the Father to you as his son, dearly beloved son or daughter. Nothing is keeping you outside except for your lack of faith and trust in him. That's the only thing. 
Some of us, though, we stumble over that. We want there to be something that I have to do. We want there to be something that I can earn. I want to bring something to the table. I want to feel that I'm bringing something to the table because I don't want to accept that I am far worse off than I ever thought I was. But until you get there, you will never realize, yet in Christ, I am far more loved than I ever dared to dream. Oh, will you stumble over Christ or will you fall upon him as your only hope today? Only believe. But here's what happens when we do believe. Believers, the Christians, the church become carriers of the presence of God. Did you hear the the wording that he there? He, He talked about us being built together as living stones to contain the presence of God. We are built into Christ on the cornerstone of Christ and we are built into each other to to literally be carriers of the presence of God wherever we go. Beloved, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's not something figurative. It's not something imaginary. If you are a believer in Christ, God's spirit dwells in you. And collectively, we as the church, God's spirit dwells in and among us. And that means that we are called to be carriers of the presence of God into our families and our workplaces and our neighborhoods. What would it mean if Jesus showed up in your neighborhood? What would it mean if Jesus showed up in your family? What would it mean if Jesus showed up in your workplace? What would that mean? What do you think that would mean? Well, he does every day that you wake up. He does every day that you go to that workplace or you interact with your neighbors. Every time you drive into your driveway, Jesus Christ has shown up in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, in your school. And do you understand how interconnected and interdependent that makes us? He says we are being built together, fashioned together. The picture of a, is of, of bricks that you're laying to build a wall and they are all interconnected and connected with each other. If one brick falls It might stand, but if a couple bricks fall, the whole thing goes. We are being built together to be the the dwelling place of God. That means that we cannot exist. We cannot exist. You cannot exist as a thriving believer apart from being connected to his body. Do you think of the church in that way? That together we contain the fullness of the presence of Christ on earth. That's what Jesus is doing in the church. He's restoring God's presence on earth. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That this is why you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. These are all just restating. You're the dwelling place of God on earth, a chosen race, royal priesthood, a set apart nation, a people for his own possession. That this is why that you may proclaim or display and preach and teach and share the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why you have been set apart to be God's dwelling place on earth, because I have called you to proclaim and show forth the excellencies, the glory of him who called us out of darkness. God is calling us as believers to act as priests, to bring God to humanity and then in prayer and intercession, bring humanity back to God. 
What do you do with the brokenness that you see around you? What do you do with the brokenness that you see in your home or in your workplace? What do you do with the brokenness that you see at school? What do you do with the brokenness that you hear about on the news? Do you just complain? Or do you just say those people? Or does it break your heart that your fellow human beings are lost in darkness? Does it move your heart like it moved Jesus to look out over Jerusalem and to weep for Jerusalem and say, oh, how many times I've longed to gather you to myself? Does it cause you to lift them up in prayer? To act as a priest of the people around you to God, pleading, God, would you please move in my home? Would you please move in my workplace? Would you please move in my neighborhood? Would you please move in Myrtle Beach? Would you come and bring, as Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth? As the new temple of God's presence, as the, the church carrying the presence of God, we are called to represent the new creation. The new creation that God is redeeming into the old creation. This is how Jesus said it. He says, you are a city set on a hill whose light can't be hidden. You are, in other words, a city within a greater city, a city of light in the city of darkness. That's what God has called us to be as the church. A place not that acts as a bubble in the middle of darkness, but a place that, that exists in the presence of God and then takes that presence, that, that glory, that goodness, that joy and peace that we receive from him and takes that for the good of the people around us. The life of the church should look a lot like the life of Jesus. What did, what did Jesus' life look like? Well, Peter told us in this passage last week, he says, Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed to the devil because God was with him. Because God was with him, what did he do? He went about doing good and healing all those who oppressed the devil. So if God is with us as his church, if God is with you as his son and daughter, what should you and I be doing? We should be going about doing good and healing all those who oppress the devil because God is with us. Not only that, but if all that is true, all that we just said is true, then when Christians gather together to worship the Lord like we are this morning, it should be a special times for God's presence to be felt and known. Why? Because when we gather together, it's no longer just me as a small T temple with the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, but it's you and you and you and you, us all gathered together, a fuller picture of the body of the temple of God, a, a fuller picture of Jesus, more Christians for his presence to dwell in and among because his local body is gathered, because the word is preached. Jesus Christ the, is the word of God because the, the word is preached, the gospel is shared, and the table, the, the picture, the reminder of who Jesus is and what he has done for us in his broken body and his shed blood because that is, is, because that is shared, the gospel is proclaimed, and and the community of believers are gathered together. They are special times for God's presence to be seen and known and felt. Because here's the truth. God's felt presence is the great treasure of his people. 
When God's presence is in the midst of God's people, when we gather together, it creates a sense of awe. Those who are believers and those who are not believers, even if they do not understand what is going on, a sense of awe comes upon them because God is in our midst. That's what happened in the book of Acts. In Acts 2.43, awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done to the apostles. When his felt presence is among his people, it acts as a, a magnet to some that draws them in. And it acts as repulsive to some people. He's either a, a stone, the chief cornerstone, or he's a stone of stumbling. But nobody can deny that something is going on there. This is what was said of the early believers in Acts, in chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people of the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico, or the porch of the, alt- of, the, of the temple. Hear this. None of the rest, those who were outsiders, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. When God's presence is in the midst of his people, it says that none of the rest dare join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And the Lord worked daily to add multitudes of both men and women. Now, in closing, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are agreeing, yes, that's what I want. I, more than anything, I want, I need, we need the presence of God in our midst. And to some of you, it may seem really subjective and arbitrary, like, I'm still not sure what we're talking about here. And some of you are like, okay, we're the new temple, God's presence dwells with us, but what am I supposed to do with that? Oh, do you remember... If you were here last week, what causes people to see the beauty of Jesus in the gospel? What is it that makes the gospel real? What is it that makes Jesus real to people? The Holy Spirit must be poured out upon them. It's what happened on the day of Pentecost. It's what happened in Cornelius' house last week. It's the promise. It's the only promise God gave us for the success of the church, that he would pour out his spirit upon us. So how do we measure a church or a church service? What is it that we're looking for? What is it that we want to happen? If we believe that's true, if we believe that God has made us to be people who together are the dwelling place of God on earth, the dwelling place of God in Myrtle Beach, if we believe that to be true, And we believe that it is only as his presence is poured out upon us and through us that people around us will actually see the beauty that is found in Jesus and will be converted from darkness to light. He's the only hope for my family members and my friends. If we truly believe that, then that must be the greatest desire of our heart. Now that we would have experiences but that God's presence would be here in our midst as his people. Because that's what we were created for. It's what they were created for. So what do we do? What do we do? We do the same thing that Isaiah did when he said, Oh Lord, look down from heaven, look at us, rend the heavens and come down to us. 
We pray and we call out because that's what we see believers do when they need his presence. They're sensible that they don't feel and sense his presence around them. They don't see signs of his presence empowering them to call out the lost and those who are broken. When when it seems that too many Christians are sleepy and lethargic and we need God's presence to stir that lethargy and wake us all up again. The believers call out to God. God looked down from heaven, rend the heavens and come down. We look down, we look up with confidence to our great high priest because we, we remember, God, you sent your son, Jesus, to be the great high priest so that we could be brought into your presence. And you, would, you said you were building us together to be the dwelling place of your presence on earth. Would you come and do what you've got to do to pour out your spirit in us and among us and through us? We focus on Jesus. We repent. Maybe you need to repent this morning of your lethargy. Maybe this morning you need to repent of the lack of love that you feel for Christ. Maybe you need to repent this morning of trying to place your confidence in your own good works and your morality than only in the works and person of Jesus on your behalf. Maybe you need to repent of the, the, your view of church. That you viewed it as something that you come and consume that, you be a, that you're a part of, that a product that somebody else is offering to you rather than as something holy and precious to God where he is building us all together to be his dwelling place of God on earth. And we need to pray. And say, Lord, Father, look at the work of Jesus. Don't look at us. Don't look at our efforts. Don't look at our desire. Don't look at our goodness. Don't look at our talent and ability. Lord, we just say, pray, look at Christ and for his sake and his name, pour out your spirit and your presence in us and among us. Make us into be here in Myrtle Beach, the dwelling place of your presence on earth. So that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so that those others who have been out, who are outside would be brought in. That's what we're going to celebrate here at communion. We're celebrating and remembering that every single one of us, no matter what your pedigree is, no matter what your resume says, every single one of us are brought in and are brought near, not at all by a decision that you made or your morality or your efforts, but only by the broken body and shed blood of Christ on your behalf. But because it is by his broken body and shed blood, we all have confidence this morning to know that we've been brought near. And to ask the Father, Lord, reassure me in my soul. Show me. Let me know by your spirit. Breathe new life into my heart and assure me that that is who I am. That I am fully known, fully brought in as a son and daughter and a dwelling place of his Holy Spirit.